All right, so this morning what I want to do is, this is a little bit of a different lesson for me. Um, we are going to be in Colossians 1 pretty much the whole time. But it's going to take us a little bit just to get there. And um, kind of what spurred this idea or this lesson is just kind of listening to some, I guess, debates or at least uh, a little bit back and forth on some videos, but also just kind of in some conversations I've had with people recently. Uh, there's a certain idea, and I'm, I don't know if I disagree totally with the idea, but how it's applied, I, I know that I disagree with that, and I think that Colossians will help us to work through that. So um, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, uh, Mark Colossians, but we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians 5, where our reading came from, and I appreciate James reading that. Uh, we're going to read 18 through 21 as we start. Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the beginning here, as we started reading verse 18, uh, you know, he says something about how God was reconciling us and the world to himself through Christ. That's what he was accomplishing. And it seems to me that what he's pointing to is Christ's death and then his burial and resurrection. That that's what God was accomplishing. But if you really think about what he's saying, it almost sounds like that's for anybody and everybody. Not just like that's an option, but that's just what happened. God reconciled. And it says there in verse number 19, not counting their trespasses against them. So God in and of himself, God alone decided, I'm going to take care of this whole sin issue. And I'm just going to wipe it out. And I'm going to do that through Christ and through his death. And I don't know if I would necessarily disagree with that. But then if we go another step, maybe let's go over to Romans 5. Romans 5, and let's read verses 12 through 21 now. And I want you to pay attention to, again, what was God going to do about this whole sin problem? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let's stop there and just think about what, what Paul is saying there. One man sinned, Adam. Because of that, all men have sinned. Is basically what he sounds like he says. Because sin leads to death, all now will die, right? Death spread to all men because all sinned. That's because of one man. I didn't do that. I didn't do what he did. That's what Paul says happened. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Sin was there before there was a law, and so, but it doesn't take the law for there to be sin. However, what it does sound like he says there towards the end of that verse, verse 13, sin is not counted where there is no law. I think what he's saying there is if there is no law about it, it's not sin. Because if it's not something God speaks on, then therefore it's not sin. It's not wrong, I guess. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I think that what he's basically saying is that before the law was given, there was still law. There was still right and wrong. There was still morality. 
I mean, God did say don't eat of that tree, right? So it wasn't the law as they would think about it or even as we would think about it, but there still was a law. There was still, I mean, I guess if you want to put it this way, it's still what God says goes. Um, so let's keep on reading verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Sin, death reigned because everybody sinned, even though the sin was not like that of Adam. It's still the same. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of the one that man of the, that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought, condemna brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life, through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what did God do? What was God going to do about this whole sin problem? Well, there's a lot that, that we've already discussed there. And there's a lot that he continues to say about this free gift and this through one man this and one man that. But just look at what he says in verse 19. As by one man's disobedience... Many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Where do you and I fit into this whole discussion or this whole section that we just read? What did we do? Nothing good. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we didn't do anything here. It doesn't say, I mean, we, in no way are we factoring in as far as how are we accomplishing righteousness? How are we uh, being drawn? How are we coming closer to God? How are we, if you really look at it, it just seems like God's just doing all this. And he did it all through Christ. So there's nothing for me to do. My sin's gone away. My sin's just erased. I'm reconciled to God. That's the end of the story, is kind of how I could take this text. I think that's how a lot of people do take this test, this text. It's the whole idea of God um, transferring my sin to Christ while he was on the cross. Imputing, right? That, that's, that's that whole idea, like, my sin has been imputed, and it's been transferred, and it's just gone away, so therefore there's nothing that I have to worry about and I think that it's very easy to, to see, to think that way if you just read the text the way we just read it, which is from the eyes of someone who like, you know, where do I fit in this? Well, obviously I don't have to do anything. We didn't read, we didn't read all of 2 Corinthians 5 because right before the, the text we read that talks about being a new creation, things like that. Um, obviously in Romans, if we would continue to read, chapter 6 is really going to answer the question and give us what we ought to do. 
But let's just say we don't do that. Let's say we, we just stop there. We stop where we've already read. What do you think about your sin? What do you think about what you ought to do from here? Truthfully, I, I don't think there's anything I have to do if I stop there. God's done it, and he's done it through Christ. So this is what, I think that's kind of what it sounds like when, when you might talk to people and when you hear them discuss um, our responsibilities towards sin, it's almost portrayed and talked about in a way where it's like just so grateful because I don't have to do anything because God's done it all. And I can't disagree with that. I am so grateful. We ought to be so grateful. Like, look at God, what God accomplished through Christ. But is that all there is? And I want to be careful. I, I'm not saying that, like, God does his part, we do our part. I want, I want to make that clear from the very beginning. Like, I, that's not really the point of my lesson. The point of the lesson is to say, what's our response to what God has done? And does our response even matter? And I think that it does. One more text that we're going to go to before we get into Colossians 1 is in 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, and I just want to read verses 24 and 25. This is talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This might be one of the best summaries of what God did through the cross and what we are to be doing because of that. We were straying, all of us, like sheep, without a shepherd, without a direction. And by that, we were lost. We were darkness. We, we, were, we were in sin. But Jesus bore our sins. He took that on himself as he hung on that tree <coughs> so that we might die to sin. Not just like sins erased, but that we might die to it. And you don't go and dig something up that's dead. You bury it. You put it away. And then we live for righteousness. But don't make any mistake about it. It's by His wounds that we are healed. The pain and suffering He endured is what we ought to be enduring because of our sin. So I think this kind of illustrates maybe better than a lot of other texts, uh, the kind of the balance of like, this is what God is doing through Christ and this is what you are to be doing. It's just summarizing, die to sin, live to righteousness, and uh, what at the very end, return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. But let's get into some of the details of that and I think Colossians 1 will really help with that. And again, I hope this is kind of making some sense as far as why this is even a valid discussion. It's, it's because... We all know that we've sinned. Romans teaches us that. I mean, we don't even, I don't even know if we need Romans to know that we've all sinned. We just, we just know it. Like, I, I know that I've sinned. Um, I don't need Romans 3 to tell me all have sinned. And I don't need the popular phrase saying nobody's perfect to tell me that nobody's perfect. I, I know that. I, I have eyes and I have ears and I have a TV. Uh, I don't have cable with that TV, but I have a TV. Um, and, and I mean, I have internet. I have my phone. Like, I we, we get it, all right? All have sinned, nobody's perfect. But like, what do we do about that? And the difficulty is that maybe, it, and this is more about maybe our discussions with, with other people than it is about some issue I see within ourselves or like something I've heard among the group. The, the problem is, and the hard part about discussions that you're having with people is that 
I think that it's 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 not it's not fun to take ownership and to take responsibility. Period. I no I don't know anybody that truly enjoys that, especially when it seems so overwhelming and there's so much guilt because of what I've done and because of who had to suffer because of what I've done. So therefore, it'd be easier and kind of nicer to just think, well, I feel good about it because God accomplished that. He did it all. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. So as we're walking through Colossians 1, I just want you to be thinking about this idea of how is our sin erased? How is it, how is it done away with? And... Um, Think and keep in mind what God has accomplished through Christ, but also notice what we are to be doing because of that. So Colossians 1, we're going to start in verse number 15. Colossians 1, uh, verse 15 through 20, then we're going to back up and start in verse 3. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross." That's, again, what God has done through Christ. But we just jumped in the middle of it all. So I wanted to get this as, as the kind of the backdrop, as the, the base of this is what God has done through Christ. Now let's go back to verse 3. And let's start really where Paul kind of starts. He starts by thanking God. We always thank God, the, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the world of, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we'll stop there for a second. So the base and the backdrop of everything is that look at who Christ is and look at what God has accomplished through Christ. That's what we read in verses 15 through 20. Now, Paul starts by saying, we thank God always. We always thank God through Christ for you. And we're praying for you. And what does this prayer entail? It, it emphasizes uh, knowledge of the gospel and understanding it. So my question would be, if the sin of the world is transfer, transferred and imputed on a Christ, why does it matter if I know it? Why does it matter if I know it or increase in knowledge? Who cares? Like, it's just what, it's just how it is. So that's like, Richard and I had a conversation a couple months ago. He's very into, like, astron not astronomy necessarily, but, I don't know, science and astronomy, things like that. And, and I, I'm just not, and it's okay. Like, I appreciate it. It's that kind of thing, but, like, it's not something I pursue. And so 
I, we were having a conversation about the way the world works and all this other stuff, and eventually I was kind of like, you know, I, it just works, so I don't really care. I didn't say it like that, but that's kind of how I feel about things like that. As long as it keeps working, then I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't have to know the science behind it. We could think about it the same way when it comes to our sins and when it comes to being a Christian. As long as, as, long as it, it's just what God has done, then I don't have to worry about it. The bad thing is that maybe that's not all there is. Maybe there is something we ought to know. And maybe there is something that we ought to pursue and something that we need to have faith in. Because if you look at what he says, he, he does say that you know there's a hope laid up for you in heaven in verse 5. But what he makes very clear is that we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and, and of the love that you have. And then he goes on to say that of this you've heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. So this all came because there was this something they knew, something they heard. And then it bore fruit and it was increasing. So there was love and there's faith. And then they had hope that was laid up for them in heaven. But again, I'll ask, why does it matter what I know and why I should increase in knowledge? Well, obviously, it does matter. But that means that my sin is not just taken away without me doing anything, and so therefore I don't have to worry about it. That means there is something I, I need to be doing, and there's something I need to know. And I think we get into that as we begin in verse 10. Following up in verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Why does it matter what I do and how I live? If I am righteous solely based on what Christ has done, why is there a manner in which I am to walk? Why is there a way in which I am to live? Why are there good deeds that I am to be doing and, and uh, good works? And again, why am I supposed to increase in the knowledge of God? You know, if, if someone walked up to me and gave me a million dollar check right now, I would not, I might ask like a couple questions, but really, if, if, if Stephen did that, then I would just be like, thank you, Stephen. Let me go to the bank. <laughs> you know, like, that's it. I don't have to know more about Stephen. I don't have to know why, his motives, or anything like that. Like, maybe if I knew it was something that I did, I mean, I'd be like, oh, I guess good things do pay off. You know, good things happen to good people. But really, I don't care. You just gave me a million-dollar check. I'm just going to the bank, putting it in there, and if I see you, I'm going to say, hey, thanks again for that. But I don't have to know more about you. It's the same with God. If you think about it from that, from that line of thinking, like he gave us this ability to take sin away, and he gave us the opportunity where we can be in heaven one day. I don't got to know more about him. If that's all there is, I don't have to know more about him. I have to anything. That's not the expectation. The expectation is that we would know more about God, that we would increase in knowledge, and that we would live a certain way because of what he's done. Again, I, I want to be careful. Like This is not like a his part, our part. This is a his part in our response to what he's done. I think that's the appropriate way of looking at it. So let's go on and read verse 11 now. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This means there's a struggle and that Christ didn't take all the struggle as he was crucified. He did take, he took on the sins of the world. But we still have to struggle. So we can't, we can't run away from that patience and endurance is needed in our walk. In verse 12, 
as he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the, of the saints in light. So if we're going to get really picky here, the fact that he says who has qualified you so or qualified us um, to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, then that means like, oh, we're qualified, but that doesn't mean we have it yet. So if we want to get nitpicky, like we could use that to say, you see, there is something we must do. But really just think about the first part, giving thanks to the Father. Again, why is, there, why is that even a requirement or, an, or something I must do if this is something God's just done and I can't do anything about it? Like, if he's done it for the world, then why do I have to even give thanks to him? I don't have to. If Once Stephen gives me that check, I don't have to be thankful to him. It's already in my bank. It's taken care of. I could spend that how I want to. And that's not how it works with our sin being taken away by God. I can't just live how I want to. I have to be thankful to him. So then we go on and we continue to, to read the, the rest of this section. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So how do we get that? Like is that... If he's transferred us to the kingdom, then maybe I'm just there. Like that's just where I reside, right? No, so doesn't matter. You can't evict me from it. God put me there. <laughs> uh, I have my sins already forgiven. I have redemption. It, it is what it is. However, I think if you go down to verse 21, and then we start picking up there, I think that's where, where we really start understanding what this looks like and how we have forgiveness of sins and redemption and we're reconciled. Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, yeah, I was alienated, I was separated, I, I've done evil things, and so this is such a great thing that now I've been reconciled thanks to Christ, and he's just going to present me holy and blameless. He's, that's just what's going to happen. Like, I mean, it's like going to be a sheet that, you know, you just go out, it was stained, and you just wash it. And so now that's just how it is, never to be stained again. Have you ever had something that didn't get stained again? <laughs> like, have you ever had something, a shirt that, that you liked, and then all of a sudden you dropped something on it? And then you're like, oh, I'm just going to wash that. You ever had to, you ever been paranoid that you were going to get that stained again? You ever had that happen where you're like, I need that tied to go pin again or something? Like that's how it works. Like that's that we just get that. We we that happens in everyday life. So I think we need to understand that like we're as fragile as a sheet, as fragile as as a, just a, a shirt that we put on. Like we can get stained very easily once again. Which is why I think that he says that we need to continue in the faith, be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you've heard. Hope is not something that I just have and it never goes away. Hope is something that can be shifted one way or the other. Now, I can still within me like be positive and have hope. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying that you can have hope that is not just within you, but it's something you live out. That's the kind of hope that we need to be pursuing with God. So now let's go on and 
the last section we're going to read is chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And then we'll kind of just sum this up. And maybe this will help us a little bit as we try to combine this differing opinion and ideas about uh, this is what God has done and is what we are to do. And if that even matters or um, if there is anything for us to do. So chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That sounds a lot like the whole thing we just read in chapter 1, right? You have faith. You're walking in him. You're rooted, so you're steadfast and stable. You're, uh, you've been taught this, so you, you have knowledge. And then he says abounding in thanksgiving. That, that section, that just that, those two verses summarize all the responsibilities of a person that is following Christ that I see in chapter 1. It's right there in those two verses. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the element, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that, is, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, by triumphing over them, in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments gro grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used? according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So the problem that Paul is addressing, these Christians were having to deal with, is not the problem that we're dealing with today. These people had a problem with thinking that it's the balance of the old law and new law is what it seems like. Like you're going to disqualify people for not doing certain things and not observing certain days and they're doing things differently than, than that you did in your Jewish tradition and laws. That's not the problem that we're dealing with today. The problem that I see that we're dealing with today is does it matter what I do? Does it matter how I live? Or has God just done it all and that's all there is to say about it. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that God has done it all, and there's nothing else to say about it except, Lord, what should I do now? And I think there's nothing else to say except for saying, thank you, Lord, and saying, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
and committing ourselves to, to following him. But that's it, right? That's all there is to say. <laughs> that's a lot. That, that's, that's not that easy to do sometimes. So to kind of summarize all the things that, we've, that we read, in particular in chapter 1, we need, to, we need to have knowledge of the gospel and not just know it's there. We need to have knowledge of God and, and increase in our knowledge. We need to walk in Him, and there's a manner in which we need to walk, and we need to bear fruit, have good deeds, and, and walk in that way that, that Christ would have us walk. But along the way, we need to have patience and endurance as we are walking, because it's still a struggle. Uh, God didn't take away all the struggles that, that are ever going to exist just by, by putting Christ, His Son, His only begotten Son, on the cross. We need to give thanks to God, and we need to seek forgiveness of our sins. It's not something that, is just, that just happens. We're not just a forgiven people because of what Christ did. We can be forgiven because of what Christ did. And we need to seek forgiveness. And then we need to die to sin and just be alive to God and alive to righteousness. I'm not alive to righteousness because Christ died for my sins. I'm alive to righteousness when I put away my sins and I put on a new self and I seek the things that are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. That's how I pursue righteousness. That's how I become uh, forgiven. That's how I am able to have my sin erased. That's how the debt is canceled. So to go back and think about the example I used about Stephen giving me a million dollar check. If he gave me that million dollar check, but I don't want to go to the bank. I don't, I don't deposit it. Like, what good is it? Well, I guess I don't have to do that anymore. I can just take a picture of it and I can go through the mobile app. But still, I got to do something, right? Like, and as, as silly as that might sound, I, I think that's kind of how it works with God. Like, does it, what I do with that check, does it even compare to the fact that he gave it to me? No. It's a very small thing that I have to do. But still, it's a, it's a logical and understandable and expected response from the person that gave that to me. And I believe it's the same with God. There's a logical, understandable, reasonable, and expected response we would have towards God. And I think that, it, that this Colossians just kind of shows a lot of those things. And maybe some of the details aren't there, but it's, it's really easy to summarize it, as I said in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. We've received Christ Jesus, the Lord. Walk in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him. Be established in the faith, just as you were taught. So therefore, increase in knowledge and just abound in thanksgiving. <clears throat> be thankful to God continually. So... This lesson isn't necessarily about what you need to do to be a Christian. I don't know if that even necessarily applies to somebody in here, but I think it, it does apply to us because we need to be thinking about how we need to live as Christians and maybe how we need to talk to people who believe there, there's nothing that they have to do and it doesn't matter how they live their life because sin's taken away. It does matter how we live our life. Shall we increase in sin, continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's answer back in Romans was certainly not. May it never be. And I think that that's pretty consistent with what we've read in Colossians as well. Um, just to conclude and just to wrap up and to leave you with uh, just two other verses or three other verses just to think about as you go through this week and as you really try to have this mindset and try to live your life the way that you ought to. I want to pick up and read where we left off in Colossians 3. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Um, and I could keep going throughout the rest of the book, honestly, and it would help further the case and further encourage us to be doing what we ought to do and to put away sin and to live life that Christ would have us to live and to, to live our life for him as well. But I, th- I think it's pretty obvious what we ought to be doing. And I think it's also pretty obvious, the, not the argument, but the way in which we should speak with people who might have this idea that... Um, my sin is a race taken away. It's put on Christ. And that's not just me. That's the whole world. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do from here on. Um, it definitely does matter. Uh, like I said, we've we got to be thankful for it. And we've got to respond in the way that God would have us to do that. So uh, I was just kind of thinking this would be helpful as we talk with people who might have a different view than us on, on grace and on what it means to be forgiven but also maybe it encourages us to do some things and to make some changes to really set our mind on things that are above. Uh, so if, if you do need help, if you need prayers, if this has been difficult for you lately to, uh, to live a, as a forgiven Christian, to, to live the way that you ought to, then I would encourage you to not just pray about that um, with yourself and to, to pray to God about that, but maybe to reach out to at least one person who can help you and hold you accountable Um, And if there's somebody who needs to do that this morning, we do have an opportunity as we are going to stand and sing a song that Richard will lead us with.